everyone. This is Sandra True, Get Real Parental Coaching. And I've got an incredible guest on the show today, Jeremy Indicar. Listen, he's going to tell you about his story. And I just want to sort of pull it out there to people that we're going to be talking maybe a little bit of graphic, you know what I mean? A bit of personal details going on and it may be sensitive to certain people's ears. So I just want to put it out there first and I will have illicit pressed on this particular podcast just to warn people so just so you know I, you know because obviously this is going to touch certain people's soul heart mind and all of that so Jeremy welcome to the show how are you I'm very well thank you so much for having me and I'm looking forward to seeing what we can investigate here yeah absolutely and you know I just for the viewers and and the listeners I reached out to Jeremy because to me he has got an incredible story and people don't want to talk about it and I'm so happy that he is talking about it and that's why I reached out to him because I feel like more people need to know his story and to also look out for signs and 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 things like that so go ahead with Jeremy just tell us a bit about your story so currently I am on a mission raising awareness for child sexual abuse and that all started with my story and taking my story public which I did four years ago now and my story is one of a horrific circumstance that unfortunately never got noticed. I was eight years old and was being sexually abused by a man who was 25 years old who had access to me through my family and was a absolutely trusted and unsuspicious person in our lives and he managed to groom me, manipulate me, trick me very successfully into thinking that what we were doing was something that I needed. And it was sexual abuse of all levels, uh, including kissing, fondling, touching, oral sex, etc. And I believed at the time that this is something that me and him can do and it was special for our friendship. It also was making me feel good in certain areas. The cuddling, the fondling, um, the physical reaction response that I was getting from these actions. None of it was violent. None of it was painful. And it was also a different era when this was happening to me. It was 1993. So children were very different back then. They weren't as equipped as today's children are. They weren't as aware about all of these situations than young people are now. So I was a very naive child with no tools, no knowledge to highlight that what was going on with me was something that I needed to tell somebody about. Wow. So if I could just take you back a little bit then Jeremy just so that yes when you talked about grooming what did that look like so it's actually very difficult for me to answer but actually proves how powerful the grooming process is because I was eight years old I do not remember any significant moments in the process I just remember the extreme things that we were doing the things we were doing when we were naked the things he was asking me to do the things that I remember him doing to me the gradual process that would have got me to that point I can't actually remember And that proves how powerful it is because it's the trickery of the child. And if you're trying to trick a child or manipulate them for your final result or the final thing that you're looking for, you don't want them to notice. You want them to think that's normal. You want them to, for that to be almost like a routine for them. So nothing is alarming in their mind. And he managed to do that very successfully with me. Now we can guess, we can make a good estimate that it started slowly. Maybe um, it was many, many compliments, over complimenting me. Maybe it 
was hugging when there wasn't a hug necessary. Maybe it was just um, a touch on the leg when we were playing computer games that wasn't didn't need to be there. And bit by bit, he would creep that or progress on that stage by stage until he had me doing everything that he wanted. So when you were at school, how did that affect you in terms of your learning, in terms of you being with your peers? Um, how did that affect you then? So I've actually gone back to a lot of the adults that knew me during the time that I was being abused, meaning parents of friends that I still have today, teachers also. And I say, now that you know what happened, in hindsight, the beautiful hindsight, could you now pick out parts of my behaviour that would have possibly been signs? And all of them say, no, Jeremy, you would have been the last person. We wow. Wow. So I was very confident in class, outspoken, telling jokes here and there, but doing my schoolwork very well. I was playing lots of sports and I had the most incredible set of friends that I'm still friends with today. I met them all when I was seven years old, my first day at that new school. And I'm now 37. And I think from that day in the playground that I met them, there's like five of us. So there was nothing out of the ordinary. You often think that somebody who's being sexually abused behind closed doors, they become introverted. They can't maintain friendships. They can't get on with their schools, schoolwork. They have learning difficulties, etc. Now, that is definitely the case with some, but I'm really pushing hard for us to understand that this situation of sexual abuse behind closed doors when it comes to children, the response or the reaction from the child is varied. Different children, different responses. Now, I've managed to start talking in schools. I managed to do that last month for the first time, and I actually spoke in front of a room full of teachers because they wanted to check out what I was saying before they moved me on to the students. And one of the questions in the Q&A session that I do in these presentations was, what are the signs to look out for, for a child being abused? And at that time, I actually didn't have a solid answer. And I was very annoyed with myself that I didn't have a solid answer. So I actually went out to my audience on social media and explained the situation. I felt really disappointed with myself. I didn't have the correct answer because I don't know what the answer is, right? Because I didn't give the stereotypical response that we all think of when we think of the sexual abuse of a child. And there were so many comments from my audience with their, they gave what happened with them. And it was so varied that I came to the conclusion that actually there aren't any typical signs. But in summary, the real sign is a drastic change in behavior. And the reason why I'm going with that answer is because let's take a 13 year old girl who's groomed online, go and meet this person and now is in a situation of sexual abuse by an adult man. Let's take that as an example. That 13 year old girl could have been very confident with friends, liked to go to group gatherings, was um, doing well at school and she could go completely introverted. Mm and not want to leave the house and not want to speak to anyone and become an angry girl when before she wasn't that nature. But you could have the absolute opposite. You could have an introverted girl who doesn't normally like going out and she goes wild. Wild, yeah. Right. So I don't want to be talking to audiences saying these are the seven signs that a child is being abused because I think that would be wrong of me. I think what we need to do, which we all know is very important and can be very, very difficult for our busy lives, but to keep an eye on our children, keep an open conversation within the household, keep an open conversation within schools, give them the space, a safe space to talk about anything that they wish and ask them questions about their life and go that way. Do you think if somebody, whether it be a teacher or 
or an auntie or uncle or would have asked you more questions? Do you feel at eight years old, you would have been able to open up a little bit? Bearing in mind that this person has said to you, it's our secret, it's our, you know, special arrangement type thing. Yeah. And I believe that if I had the education that is now currently being taught in schools today, there's a high possibility that would have led me to think, ah, that's what I'm doing with that man. Simple pieces of information that schools are now teaching, thankfully, where the private areas are on your body and what to do if anybody goes near them and what to do if anybody asks you to go near theirs. Now, something like that would have led me, would have increased the possibility that I would have been like, ah, he's touching me in my private area. That wrong. I didn't know that was wrong. And then maybe I would have said something. Maybe I wouldn't also because the the teaching of secrecy was there, but it would have definitely led me a a large step closer to possibly disclosing. Yeah. And as you say, you you just wouldn't, you just don't know what you would or wouldn't have done back in those days. And and you brought up a really good point because back in those days, things were very hush hush as opposed to now. Um, The generation has, has just come forthwith in terms of there's a lot more things out there. We are encouraging children to be more open and we're encouraging adults, parents to be more open with their children. So the communication is the same. They're getting to understand that. So as an adult now, uh, at what point of your life did you think, oh my goodness, this has happened? Because I have heard that these things can be blocked, blocked memories, just get pushed way, way back in order for you to be able to continue your life as a normal person, do I want to say? Right, and you summarised it brilliantly there because we know that what what the mind will do in most circumstances when something horrific in nature happens to the child that they have no chance of processing, the mind will cleverly box it up and put it to the back of the mind and release it when the time is right. And for me, the time was right when I was 25 years old. So the abuse finished when I was 10, it went on for two years. So 15 years later was when uh, the memory started to return to me. It took me two years to work out what to do with them. And eventually after, trying many things um, to do with ignoring them, hoping that they'd go away, trying to fight them away. I spent two years doing that and realized that this wasn't going anywhere. That's when I told somebody for the first time. Wow. And what did that feel like for you? Because you're actually saying the words, you're actually saying, you know, I was abused. How, How was that for you? It was the craziest moment of my life to actually say the words out loud. Now, of course, I've been dealing with this in my head for two years. The memories come back at 25. At 27, I said something. So for those two years, I was dealing with it in my head, but I'd never actually said the words out loud. And that was a really, really mind-blowing experience um, that was revelationary for me. It It was truly incredible in the end. It took me many attempts and I am a very, very fortunate person to have a close set of friends, as I talked about at the start of this podcast, that I could tell. Now, by this point, I'm 27. So most a lot, a handful of those friends I've known for 20 years by this point. Mm. We've been through our, our teenage years, our young men years, our partying years, our career years. Like, you know, we'd seen a lot together. So I knew I had people that I could tell. My heart goes out to anybody who isn't in that, in that position. And we can talk about 
what advice I've got for them later on as the conversation evolves. And I went to go and tell and say this thing out loud to a friend a number of times. I tried it so many times when we were in the pub, when we were chilling, watching a film, when we were in the car driving somewhere. I just couldn't get the words out. And I think to myself, why? Mm. Why couldn't I? I was 27, so I was a man by this point. This this stuff that happened when I was a child, we know logically, objectively, that's really something that happened to you. You had no involvement in that. You didn't know what you were doing. It was the adult with all the blame there. But I still couldn't get the words out because I'm. Uh, what man wants to start talking about this? It's another man that you did sexual things with. Like, there's an embarrassment to that. There's a shame to that. There's a disgust to that. And was actually speaking to somebody last week about this and she made a very good point and that is this is so this is such an intense thing to say it's such a significant thing that there's a big fear about how it's going to change the relationship between you and the person that you're telling now that it's out in the open you're worried that now they're not going to know what to say around you or they may they're tiptoeing around you or they're going to think differently of you all of these things but seriously when I told that first person the response that I got internally whirl of strength whirl of confidence love that it was like this release this weight had been lifted off my shoulders and I remember the next day I spoke to this friend and I was like man that thing that I told you yesterday oh I feel incredible thank you so much for listening and that is where this whole thing started and what made you number one choose that particular friend because you've got a few anyway and why do you feel it was at that particular time that it needed to come out I knew there were a, a, a handful of people that I could tell and this person person in particular was around when the abuse was going on. Right. I'd met him one year before the abuse even started happening and we'd been very close all the way up until that moment. So it felt like a strong thing to do. Yeah. The actual idea of telling someone actually is... I can't work out where that came from because it's not like I was following anybody that talks about abuse or I was researching the topic of what to do if you get if you have memories... I didn't care about PTSD or I just didn't care about any of that. I was a young lad. I had a great career in engineering and I loved partying at the weekends. We weren't talking about mental health and things like that. We weren't that group of boys, right? We were all about going out, chasing girls, drinking beers and having a good time with the boys. So none of this was in my circles, but there was just something inside of me that was like telling someone would be a strong thing. And I'm pleased that wherever that came from, it came. Uh I'm pleased as well, 100%. So about the abuser now, I did have a read because obviously you got your website out there, something to say. And you did at one point feel like, okay, it's time to talk to to face my abuser. Um, Tell us about that. Okay. And I'd like to start that part of the story with a recent thought that I've had. And I want to start talking about this a bit more. I I want to explain to people that sharing your story is completely different to reporting your story. Right. Now, I spoke out and started telling people at 27, I didn't decide I wanted to do something with the man that did this to me until I was 32. Wow. Five years later. Now, this is a significant thing that I want to start discussing now because I believe that we are creating a big problem with the mandatory reporting laws. So we have a rule. If a minor discloses abuse to us, we must report it to the authorities immediately. Yes. 
And I fully understand why that rule is there. And I agree with it to a large extent because we need to assess the situation and get that young person out of the abusive situation as soon as possible. And that's why we report it to the authorities. However, my worry is how many young people are not telling us about what's going on with them because of this rule. Because sharing the abuse compared to reporting the abuse are two completely different things. They're not ready to have the police knocking at their door asking for statements yet. They just want to talk to us. But we've said to them, if you talk to us, we're reporting it. End of. So are we creating a problem in itself with that is the latest thought in my mind. And my story is a good example of sharing your story versus reporting your story. And I was a man by this point. Mm. Right. So at 32 years old, I, after speaking for five years to various friends, and I'd actually broken into the next circle of people, let's call it that, I started speaking to their girlfriends. I started speaking to their parents who were around at the time that I was being abused. Because the fear that I had during the first time I ever spoke about it, by the time I'd spoken to 20 people, that fear had gone. I didn't care about that fear anymore. Now it was different. Now it was actually a powerful story. I was looking forward to telling that person that's known me for five years about this. Check this out. I've got a story to tell you and check check out what I'm thinking about doing about. And it just turned itself completely around. And during those conversations, and of course, it, I, I didn't talk to my friends, my close circle of friends just once or twice about it. We discussed it more and more as time went on. And one of the things that kept raising its ugly head was, where's the guy now? Yes. And is he still doing it to more children? Do you think you're ever going to find him? And when those discussions started, I hated them. Mm-hmm. I hated them. Because I kind of, I think, I think subconsciously I knew what it meant. And that was taking the next step on this journey and seeking him out. Now I had his name and I did the usual social media search. I managed to find him and there he was with his wife and his children smiling at Christmas, smiling on holidays. And I hated it. I remember looking at his face and feeling very scared. Mm. And then I had to check myself. I was like, what are you scared of? (laughs) You're 32. Yeah. He's no threat to you now. That's your mind playing tricks on you, thinking you're back there. Bro, man now. Right. So I wrote a message to him and I said, we need to meet. You know who I am. We need to talk about what happened all those all those years ago. I'm happy to meet you at your place of choice, coffee shop, park, whatever you want. But you are to come and meet me. And if I don't hear from you in 24 hours, I'm going to go to police. I saw that he'd read the message. I went away from my computer. I come back two hours later and he blocked me. So I reported it to the police. Now, the investigation lasted nine months. It's the usual story. It couldn't, we couldn't get enough evidence. It's just what people are saying. There's no hard evidence. And police are struggling because they do not have enough money to take every case to court. Their funds are cut year on year because this is not taken seriously enough. Historic child abuse cases are not given the time of day. And so they can only take, let's say, the top 20%, which are their strongest cases to court because they haven't got the money. Yeah or the personnel to take every case to court. And mine didn't make the bar. So now we're angry. And a lot of people were like, you did everything you could do. Yeah. Yeah, you really did. Pursued it. You tried to go through the legal system. And now hopefully you can have some closure. And I feel like that's a complete misunderstanding or or that's, that's looking at it completely incorrectly. What closure? I know there's a man out there that did something to me when I was eight years old. He got fully excited by everything that we were doing. And he's still out there now with children 
And I think, right, mm-hmm. we don't know what job he's doing. We don't know what he's doing online. We we know none of this. No one's monitoring him. So where's the where's the success? Where's the closure? Where's the, it's none of it's there for me personally. And I think that's the general public feeling so distraught that this is happening in the world that to say to me, oh, you did everything that you could. You you that's closure for you. Try kind of, and, and this is not a criticism of them. This is a very tough thing to think about. But for them, as long as I'm all right, we're all right, right? When that's not the case, because the children that he's most probably still touching now, that was your child. You'd be wondering why we didn't do more. 100%. And it's actually a little bit, it is scary that he has children of his own. Yeah. You're wondering how are those children? What are they keeping quiet about? Because it's their dad right. at the end of the day. Absolutely. And what what else is he looking? As you say, looking online. You know, yeah. because obviously, you know, he's he's a predator. He zoomed you out. Who else did he zoom out? Because it wasn't just you. Right. If he's got that mentality yeah. to do what he did to you, he's got that mentality all the time. Okay, and I agree with that. And even if just by the very very small percentage that I was the only one, let's just take that scenario. Right? Let's just take I was a freak situation that turned him on he went for it and he never did it again let's just say that that is the case we still need to monitor it yeah because he is probably what going on 50 now he's still got many years where that temptation may return and he may not be able to handle it and he may do it again so for me the fact that we didn't get a successful prosecution i don't care about me for that this is bigger than me this is bigger than my story this is bigger than my closure this is bigger than my trauma we're trying to prevent this moving forward that's very important and what else is important to you now that you're getting your story out and i'm loving that by the way you know and that's one of the reasons why i reached out to you because it's just an extra avenue for people to hear what's going on, what they need to look for and just be more aware and have those open right. conversations as we said earlier with your children, not just with your children, if you're in a working environment and you're working with children where you maybe you don't have any of your own but you're still in that environment of working with children, you still need to have that open conversation and they need to feel that they can have that conversation with you also. Yes, and I just want to continue you raising awareness and getting this subject on as many people's po- at table as possible. I want to attract the attention of everybody, not just the people that work with children, not just the people that have been through an experience like this. I want to get on people's table and make them think, wow, I've never thought about it like that before. That's what I want. And that's one of my big aims. That's why I write the posts like I write them on social media. That's why the videos are the way that they are on my YouTube channel. And I am now starting to bring on experts onto my YouTube channel to interview them. I've had two very interesting recent guests. One was a neuroscientist talking about how trauma affects the brain. And one was uh, the director of a charity that work with offenders called Stop It Now. So I'm I'm really trying to hit this from all angles. I'm also looking to make um, more films and short films on this topic because we all know the common conversation of what you're watching on Netflix. And I want my film talking about this subject to be part of that conversation. I want to I want to get this on uh, as an everyday, everyday thing. People are recommending, oh my goodness, I saw this film last night. It was incredible. It was about this boy and he did this and then it turned like this. And uh, we have to, you know, somebody used the 
word over the weekend when I was talking about this, which I try not to do, by the way, I try to, I try not to, but somebody was like, I've been following you for a year or so. And what you're managing to do that's very unique is it's kind of entertaining to see how your journey is unfolding. And I'm like, whoa, okay. And they said to me, I don't know whether entertaining is the correct word. And I said, it's exactly the word I'm looking for, because then I can, I can get your attention on the journey and subsequently you're going to learn. But if I only make it dark and gloomy, if I only make it horrific, you're just going to scroll straight past that because you don't want to watch that. Understandably so. I wouldn't either. And even if you do want to watch that, once you've seen five of those posts, you're okay. You're done, right? I need to turn this on its head. We are not competing anymore with the big charities, the NSPCCs, the Bernardos, the Childline. They are doing fantastic things. But I want to revolutionize this space. My comp competition is the big YouTubers with millions of followers that all the youth are following. My my competition is the musicians, Billie Eilish, Drake, all of those that they drive the culture. They say something, everyone listens. My competition is Nike, the clothing brands that drive the trends. That's who I'm looking at because they've got the, they've got the young people's attention and then they have the parents' attention. I'm not interested in the old school ways of doing things anymore. I, I, I want this to be new. I want this to be eye-catching, attention-grabbing, trendy. I want young people to be following and sharing the posts with their other 15-year-olds. They ain't sharing NSPCC's post. That's old people. That's old school stuff. I want them sharing the videos that we release on something to say in their WhatsApp groups. That's what I'm after. Well, you caught my attention and I'm hoping Brilliant. you'll catch a lot more attention when this podcast goes out. Yep. Thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing that journey. You know, you're doing wonderful things and I will be following and sharing as much as I can anytime you put out posts and stuff. Amazing. Because I love what you're doing and you are coming from, it's coming from the heart. You're passionate about yep. what you're doing because you have that personal journey. You're not just talking anything out of the air. Um, yeah. On your website, you have a lot of statistics to back up what you're saying as well. So if you want to tell people about where they can find you, how they can follow you, and I'll put those, make sure they go in the show notes below. So where can people get hold of you, Jeremy? If you go to my website, that's the home of all the work, jeremyindica.com. And there's various things going on there. You can hear, you can read my story in more detail if you wish to do so. But I've also launched a Something to Say movement where other people are sharing their stories and you can see that all there. We also have all the videos that we've ever made on that platform and the vision for the future. So please do go check it out. It's jeremyindica.com. Lovely. Thank you again, Jeremy, for coming on. Thank you. And um, don't forget to subscribe to Get Real Parental Coaching and you'll get the full episode where you'll hear Jeremy and other um, shows. So thank you everyone for listening and take care for now. Mm -hmm.